This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men and women. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's it's uh, it's that time of year. Merry Christmas, Kwanzaa Solstice, whatever it is that you celebrate. There's lots of celebrations this time of year. I guess we celebrate in the winter because not only all the religious value of it, but because, hey, you know, it's cold, kind of sucks. Um, I asked Santa for a few things this year, mostly mass epiphanies and revelations and awakenings, and I have not been disappointed. We've got this, America. <laughs> you guys, come on. Seriously, we are doing so well. I, I, I wish people, and I want so much for y'all to see it. Um, you know, I'm always on a kind of a perpetual listening tour, especially of particularly passionate viewpoints. I love hearing where people are, uh, largely because I know that it's all going to be good. When you know it's all going to be good, it makes it a lot easier to listen to people griping. But uh, <laughs> I was talking to, uh, anecdotally, a, a Trump supporter, former Trump supporter, a tr- confused Trumper. You know, he, he was saying that you know Trump is, a, is an idiot, uh, an a-hole, a malignant narcissist, a BS artist. But I sure did like his idea of making America great again. Because, you know, I remember when it was so great and now it's just not great. And I, make America great again? I agree with that, too, except for the the again part. If he changed it to make America even better, that would ring truth for me and would not have the desperation and loss that everyone is too preoccupied. Your focus on the idea that America is in decline, if that is your focus, will contribute to that reality. And interestingly enough, it will contribute to society at large because society is an aggregate of all of our different consciousnesses and vibrations and intentions and and hopes and fears and prayers. But more importantly, if you see America and in decline and you believe you are obviously in America and therefore you are in decline, then you will have your own personal decline and you don't want that. <laughs> That's why optimism is such a, a big deal, right? That's why looking, seeing the bright side, it makes all the difference in the world. Attitude is everything, right? And you want to, again, contribute to your the knowing, the knowing that, that every lesson we learn, both as individuals and society, is perfectly formed in the desires we've given birth to, the prayers we've made, the askings we've, we've asked for. And in these high-paced, changing times... Yeah, it's going to be intense uh, and it's going to be frustrating. And that's why, that's how we like it, believe it or not. And I was talking to my 14 year old uh, son who loves the news and he politics. He's seen every episode of John Elvers last week tonight and a bunch of daily shows and everything else. But he, like most of us, often enjoys the relief of rage and revenge. I was given the quote, you know, in order to walk on a path of revenge, you must first dig two graves. And uh, But he, like others, fantasizes about these politicians or these powerful folks that appear to be oppressing others, getting what they deserve for their cruelty and their oppression and their fear and their denial and their malignant narcissism. 
And I tell him, you know, he's also a writer. He loves to write stories and he crafts great narratives of the different battles between, you know, and evolutions, between the conflict between fear and, and love and good and evil. And I tell him, do, do you, you want your stories to be good? You want to live in a great story, which we are living in. Do you want, do you want to just win all the time? I mean, if you had a football team, would you just want to win 48-0, 48-2-0, 34-0, over and over again, just, just blowing out the team all the time? No! You want to win big, sure. And you don't want a little win. You want, you want massive social advancement. You want lightning speed. You don't really want a snail's growth or apathetic malaise or just meh. You know, you want to win. You want that game where it's few seconds left. It's you're on the one yard line, the winning goal. You have to push it in. You struggle. You you beat, and you finally just reach. Ah, the whole crowd goes ah. You know that's what you want. <laughs> you want the game of life to be exciting. What's the confused the uh, Chinese proverb slash curse? One should be so lucky as to live in interesting times. You want that. You know, and, and if you, the thing is to say, someone said to me once, said, if I knew for certain that it was all going to be fine, then it'd be more fun. It's all going to be fine. You know, it, it, you, and you don't want to know how it ends. You can't anyway. You, I don't know how or when things are going to happen. That's not the job of us or whatever. If, if you, but if you know what and why, you will be in a state of knowing and the fear will drop away. I know that America is going to be better for this chaos. I know that because not only we as individuals, but mass society are always better for our lessons when they're learned and they come down the turnpike and they're intense. And denial doesn't work. Those who sit in positions of power and drive us crazy and seem to have power over us, uh, and they're all in denial about what they're doing to everyone, that will not hold. That will not stand. That will not survive. You cannot BS yourself. You cannot BS the universe. You cannot BS God. You know, however you want to look at it philosophically, scientifically, religiously, it doesn't matter. If you, whatever we focus upon, we receive, right? And so, this is what's happening to America. We're getting the drama, but the truth of who we are is being exploded within us. Everybody is rushing to respond to the fact that they're looking around going, no, no, it's fourth and one with, with seconds to go and we have to get in the goal line, man, let's go, we gotta go. And you reach and you find that strength and you find that courage. And that's what everyone is doing right now. They're finding their courage. Some are not. It's a society. It's like a bell curve, right? There's going to be ones on the edge. They're going to go to the, their grave saying, I hate this. I hate that. I hate everything. And they're just going to, they're just not going to learn. And that's fine. But, oh my gosh, such a vast majority of us are learning and getting it and expanding. And you can just enjoy it. This is so cool. You'll see. We're going to weave through some topics today on Possibility Politics, a place where we uh, feelize our way to a saner future, as you can see. Uh, the latest in the reckoning on sexual harassment, uh, including a strange outrage remorse on one of the accused figures and our you know, goal towards mutually beneficial sexual relations. That's the point, right? The tax cut bill, we're going to look at that and why they're doing it. What is the fear? What is the push? Why are they do- jumping off their own cliff? 
President Trump is showing us that his bestie is still Vladimir Putin, but he's losing a key part of his base. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. It's time to catch back up with the Russia investigation, plus a shakeup in the NFL that might lead to a breakthrough in social change. I am so excited. I'm going to give you my fantasy football scenario, but it's not about statistics and rosters. It's about where we're going. All of that's coming up on Possibility Politics. This is Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. This is the home of truth, justice, sarcasm, laughs, and epiphanies, all while looking at the American way of life. And uh, thank you, Juan Velasquez, producing the show here. Uh, so Trump is, uh, President Trump's a little bit of trouble. And sure, you've seen you've been seeing watching the numbers go down, and he's he's never he's not going to ever get out of the 30s. He's uh, only going to go down from here in his approval rating, and and each new poll <laughs> finds him at a new low. And uh, you know, when we started out, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know, uh, I all wanted him to succeed. Uh, we wanted what he said about getting, making sure everybody had health care, uh, making sure that Social Security and Medicare were protected, making sure that wages were higher and minimum wage would be raised. All these different things that he you know, promised that it would drain the swamp, right? There wouldn't be a bunch of uh, lobbyists and people who just fly on corporate jets and, or make, them, make the taxpayer pay for it. <laughs> yeah. So we're, a lot of the Trump supporters have realized that he's, he's an idiot and he lied. A lot and continues to lie. And now he's a, a cancer on our society and uh, let alone what he is for himself. I mean, I, I have a great deal of sympathy for the guy because to be inside that tortured head where you have trained your brain to just ignore and deny every painful subject. And he is proof. This is why he's such a gift to us, because we can look at him. That's one of the great ways to learn about your own experience, whether or not you are uh, living up to what you dream and what you focus and what you're trying to, if you're matching your own intentions, matching your own soul's, soul's desire, matching your purpose, is to look at other people and sometimes, because you're attached to your situation and so you're deep in your own emotions and so you get lost in them. But you can look at somebody else's and learn from it. And so as we look at Donald Trump and notice what happens when you refuse truth, when you refuse to accept and you, and you make people leave the room if they start to tell you things aren't good. You make, you make your lawyers convince you that you're going to be exonerated uh, you know, <laughs> on all these many crimes that we'll get to later. But you, know, you just can't. You're not going to survive if you kid yourself. And that's why it's such a powerful lesson for us. Look at your own life and say, where am I ignoring the truth and ignoring smart people telling me smart things and not that whatever in your opinion is always the most important opinion that matters about you. But if it's not based in in love and appreciation and kindness and and inspiration, then if it's based in fear, if your opinion of yourself is is because you're trying to bounce between you know revenge, you love revenge and you seek the relief of revenge because you know that's true. Revenge, blame. These things feel so much better than feeling like you're taken advantage of or you're a loser. And uh, I mean, look at look at Donald Trump. The reason, as I said many times in the show before, he's a liar because it's vastly more easy to swallow and deal with than being a loser. Loser feels awful. Liar feels satisfying in comparison. Now, of course, you want to keep climbing up from there and not stop at liar or blame or revenge and get up to knowing, which is why we do the show Possibility Politics, because I want everyone to get to that point where you understand that. His narcissism or, you know, anybody else that you appear to think is wicked or fighting against what you hope for, whether it's Democrats or Republicans that are frustrating you, 
they, <laughs> if they're in denial and you can see it painfully clear, it'll be a lesson to you. You'll see, well, that's not going to work for them. And it doesn't. It always catches up. Karma's a bitch, right? It always catches up. And it's starting to. So new polls, which keep dropping for Donald Trump, one of the most damaging ones for him is uh, Suffolk University and other, other pollsters, Washington Post. They often ask you some of your other things, other habits, other things about you, but not just whether you like Trump or don't, you're Trump. And uh, amongst those who said they trust Fox News over every other ne- news network, that is a, you know, a subcategory of the pollsters. In June, 90% of Fox News trusters uh, were had an approval of Donald Trump. 90% viewed Trump favorably back in June. By October, it had fallen to 74%. That's pretty significant. 16-point drop, right? And then in uh, December, it has now just plummeted to 58%. 32-point drop since in six months amongst Fox News viewers who trust Fox News over the others. Think about that. Because, you know, if, you, if you're like me and you watch Fox News, I do, and not a little time, but enough to hear a diversity of opinion, which I'm fascinated by, you can see that if you watch all the time and you wanted to believe that everything Trump did was right and everything Republicans did was right or whatever, <laughs> and everything that Democrats did was the problem, even though they're in the minority and <laughs> no actual power, you can easily believe it. But it shows that the truth is penetrating anyway. It's still getting through. They, they can't hide that. Right? I mean, you're just not going to be able to. The other one, we're going to get more into that. The Russia, we're going to get what's happening to him. But uh, I, I say those things, I guess, somewhat to comfort. <laughs> so you're, because some people can't get that. We need to get Trump out of there. Don't worry. Trump is, will remove himself through his own actions. In this case, it'll be criminal and this and that. And even with the Republicans protecting him far into, because they will, they're going to keep protecting him. Uh, that's uh, one of my predictions. I'll just go ahead and give it here for 2018 is that they're not going to even come close to impeaching him or anything else, no matter how Mueller will start moving charges up the chain. It'll take a very long time. There's probably going to be a day like there was in Watergate where there'll be 30 or 40 indictments all in one day. They'll just round a bunch of people up, including folks like Jared Kushner. And then there'll be this drama about him trying to pardon everybody uh, because they'll go after him last, of course. They'll go after Mike Pence and Donald Trump last. And their culpability. They might hit Mike Pence sooner, but I don't know. Uh, just because, but they're gonna. Bob Mueller's a smart guy. He's gonna. He's gonna respect the Constitution, which gives the power of impeachment to Congress, and what to do with the president is is held in the hands of Congress. Uh, even though a president has been in it before, there was a you know some precedent on whether or not he could be indicted. But they will get everybody else, and then there'll be this drama all through 2018 of whether he's gonna pardon everybody. And Paul Ryan, who may even retire, retire earlier, there's a lot of rumors that he's not going to seek re-election, partially because he's sick of it. A lot of speakers don't last for two or three or four years anyway, uh, but also because he's got two very strong challengers in a district that he doesn't have enough strength in. There's a high probability right now, I mean, conditions change, that he would not be able to be re-elected. Him and about another almost 100 uh, Republicans in Congress at least are are in jeopardy now. The numbers are, are, are staggering. They're, they're that the quantity of pushback against the Republican brand right now just is, is a heartbreaker uh, for anybody who thinks that we should have uh, two parties that are uh, of decent quality. <laughs> Without uh, with one party in in mess, it doesn't help our democracy at all. 
And we've had two parties in mess until recently. The Democrats seem to be getting their stuff together a little bit. They're being built from the ground up, though. It's not so much that the, the structure of the Democratic Party is definitely getting together. They've been having uh, some serious uh, come-to-Jesus moments in meetings and things and, and restructuring so that something like what happened with Hillary and Bernie uh, would be uh, done above board and transparent and fair enough that uh, a contentious outcome would unify instead of divide. Uh, they're working that out. But mostly the Democratic Party is fixing because it's being replaced with just dozens and dozens, 391. I'm going to tell you this number uh, uh, candidates coming up in uh, the, the the cycle ready to run. Uh, it's, it's so cool. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's cool because I'm a Democrat or a Republican. I'm saying it's cool. Because I love when folks participate. I'm a democracy geek. And the only thing we don't like as a democracy geek is apathy, right? <laughs> and there's been a lot of apathy, but not when things get serious. That's one of the great things about things getting serious. But let me get an example. It, 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 congressional runs for, um, for office, right? The number, you take the number of, of challengers, people that are going to try to run for the House of Representatives, and those are defined in this, in this survey as people that have already raised at least $5,000 as of September of the year they ran, right? So take take a high water mark for Republicans. In 2009, before, you know, after Obamacare was passed and we had a black president and liberals and Democrats controlled everything, so Republicans got very active, they had 78 new challengers for the House of Representatives. Democrats only had 40. So you can see the difference there. Another big year for, Demo- big year for Democrats was in 2007 when Obama ran for the first time. Then they had 57 Democrats and, Demo- and Republicans only had 49 that were running. And then in 2015, it was Democrats, you know, because they've got Clinton and this excitement of like, uh, you know, uh, carrying on the Obama mantle. So they had 44 Democrats running only 28, only 28 Republicans. Now, 2017, already filed as of September 30th, ready for 2017, for the 2018 election. There are a high water, almost high water, second highest of Republicans, 71 Republicans, a lot of active Republicans. Of course, again, their last high water mark was 78 in 2009. 71. Well, on the Democratic side, there are 391 new challengers who've raised at least five grand and have filed and they're in. It is unfreaking believable, the mass and the wave that is on its way. <laughs> this is going to be, uh, and again, Democrat, Republican, I don't care. It's new blood, and you should be excited about that. New blood based on a real asking. People want something to change, and they're serious about it. Here's another example. The NFL. Are you following this? Check it out. Okay, first of all, Panthers, Carolina Panthers owner Jerry Richardson, he will, is going to sell. He announced he's going to sell his franchise at the conclusion of 2017 season because, and he's owned it since their inception. He's an 81-year-old guy, but the, they, there's an article in Sports Illustrated that depicted a toxic work environment where he was, where women were subjected to lewd comments, unwanted touching, payments for cosmetic services by the owner. He also allegedly used racial slurs when discussing uh, a scout who is a black guy. And so they can, he's come to dozens of settlement agreements on multiple lawsuits which included non-disclosure and non-disparagement clauses, which is why we haven't heard about that. And NFL is investigating. So this is nasty what's going on there. He's gone. He's selling the team. Guess who wants to buy it? <laughs> P. Diddy, Sean Puffy Combs wants to buy the NFL team. Now, he doesn't have enough money. He's worth like about $700 million, they say. And he's, this is about $3 billion you need. But as soon as he announced it, he said, this, you know, he chose a picture of himself taken back in 2003 with the Carolina Panthers. 
Uh, he says, this is God's work. It's time. Attention all NFL owners. It's time for diversity. It's time for black ownership. The time is now. Let's make it happen, says P. Diddy. And that sent a shockwave. Then he also tweeted out saying, I want Colin Kaepernick on my team, <laughs> which is just like, oh, what? Okay. And then, and then Kaepernick tweets back to him and says, I want in on the ownership group. Let's make this happen. And then Golden State Warriors super guard, super athlete Steph Curry he grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, by the way, Camp Panthers, all that. He wanted to join the ownership group. I just say it, and the hair on my arm stands up. And not because I'm getting for, against, whatever. But one thing the NFL desperately lacks, it is, it is the weirdest little socialistic, um, colluded, <laughs> collusion group of, of owners, mostly white and mostly rich, and mostly entitled, and mostly actually trust fund babies, a disconnected group. You know, there's some self-mades, obviously, but a lot of just, you know, the kind of bubble crew. And in comes these guys who are just, who were really obviously self-made. Many of them came from the streets of whatever and either made a career, as Sean did. And watch what will happen next. It's going to just get bigger because they don't have enough money yet, right? So they still have to bring in more people, right? And then who's next? They're going to bring in, uh, I can't bring in Russell Simmons. He's done because of sexual harassment, right? <laughs> but you could bring in Oprah, right? <laughs> Imagine if Oprah said, I'll join this black group. of, And then here you get this whole group of people. Will Smith jumps in, whatever. I'm just obviously throwing out Denzel Washington. I'm just throwing out black guy names, but, you know, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I don't know. I mean, just the, some of your notable, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> folks, Van Jones, whatever. Some, some, uh, President Obama throws in his money. I don't know. And suddenly you have this team where you've got 31, almost 31 white folk, white guys, and then this group that's like, well, we have to get as the owners unanimous decision on this, and you got this one bit of diversity that says, okay, yeah, I'll join in. If you make a little compromise, if you do a little, little, actually consider uh, another point of view, diversity is coming to the NFL. This is how the pendulum swings. This is how the desire is born. It had never happened without the reckoning of sexual harassment. It had never happened without the Black Lives Matter and the question about police brutality and about waving the flag. This all happens because we were fourth and one with seconds to go. This is the beautiful part of life. And this is why I do this. The tax overhaul is coming next when we can return to Possibility Politics. This is the mind-expanding experience known as Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks, Juan Valeski. as producing the show. And, um, you know, the tax overhaul bill, they're looking like it's going to get through. Maybe they already have by the time that you're listening to this. And, uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting when it goes to the president's desk for signature. I assume they'll just sign it real fast because he's going to want to win, win, win. Uh, but he because his bubble's pretty tight. Because if his bubble wasn't so tight he would start to hear how deeply unpopular this tax bill is. And being the narcissist he is, he could potentially stop it because he'd look at it like, well, I'm going to get blamed for this. I'm going to be... Because, you know, if he wants to solve all of his problems, he, he could have passed anything along the way. He could have actually advocated for it. One of the odd things about what's going on is that, you know, every previous president who has ever had a major initiative, especially in the first year of the presidency, which is where almost every president gets almost everything done, is in the first year they run around and they sell it to the country. And there's no effort to sell this to the country <laughs> to buy Donald Trump. He just says, get me the win and we'll be good to go. So, um, all right. 
the uh, I, I think the best way to introduce where some of the sentiment is is to play a little clip of, of the debate about this tax situation on uh, Morning Joe. Check it out. Let's talk about the first major policy initiative of this administration and how it negatively impacts young voters. It's just kicking the can down the road, increasing the deficit, not doing anything to curb entitlement spending. And we as a generation see this ruling class that really could care less in their short-termerism about what kind of country they're leaving, what kind of fiscal health they're leaving the country. And this, <laughs> this is a tax bill that will turn the young voters into socialists. And yep. but, it did, but, but to your point, uh, Nick, yes, they had a short window to get stuff done. I agree with that. But it didn't have to be this way. You could fix the corporate tax code and still be fair to individuals and still help working Americans and still do a lot of stuff. This is the swamp taking over. This is every special interest, everything Donald Trump said he wasn't going to do, happening in front of our very eyes. Yep. Here's where the Republicans really get crushed, though. Front page of the Financial Times headline, U.S. companies set for big profit windfall from tax overhaul. Fantastic. Young people out there working, suburban families struggling to make ends meet, they know and they're going to find out that the tax cut that they get is pretty much meaningless in terms of their everyday lives. But they also know the reality that the big companies that they work for, the conglomerates that they work for, the company's profits are going to soar. They're not going to hire Well, a, and, and it won't be passed down. We, we said that happened yeah, in the never, 1980s. Never right. That doesn't um, happen now. They're not yeah. going to be, they're, they're going to buy back more shares. Everybody said it. I mean, you know, you, you, Gary Cohn asks all the CEOs. Nobody raises yeah. their hand. Yeah. You know why? Because they yeah. know they're going to get the tax break. Yep. They're going to buy back stock. And, and the millennials... Younger voters that at least are talking about millennials, you just had one point five trillion dollars stolen from you. Now, past Congresses have stolen twenty trillion dollars from you, and over the next ten years, they're going to steal another ten trillion dollars from you, and they're going to die, and then you're going to be left holding the bill. Yeah. And yes, Nick, as Nick said, it's going to turn a lot of people, Mika, into socialists, and our economy is going to collapse. And Senator Susan Collins is also expected to back it. Now, why would Susan Collins uh, back this bill? Anybody have any answers on that? Uh, well, given her vote her, on health care? Excuse me? Given her vote on health care reform? Right, but what they promised her, and we'll see whether they can deliver it or not, or they do deliver it or not, are votes on two other health care bills that are coming along that would uh, restore some of the subsidies in her mind, uh, offset the loss of the individual mandate in this tax bill. Votes yet to come. Votes yet to yeah. come. We know how that always works uh, out, good don't luck. we? Uh, they a, never come they and they never, never get the give votes. You what they yeah. you. She has to know that. She's, she's, she's been there long enough. Susan Collins knows that, that it's more likely than not, with history as a guide, they won't have the votes. And if they do have the votes, they won't pass the votes. She's voting for the final passage of this bill because she is a nice, trusting person who's getting played by Republican leadership. Right? I mean, catch all that. That, that that just kind of sums it all up. They're turning young voters into socialists. The swamp is taking over. They're, the companies are due for a windfall. If you watch financial shows, CNBC, Fox is a business, if you watch it right now, they're so excited because they're going to have all this money that is going to be borrowed uh, and paid for by lesser taxpayers, by middle class and, and poor folks, and they're going to have it in the companies and having tax reductions in their companies. And so what they do, everyone says they did a survey of CEOs and when the wealthy, they say they'll all reinvest the money and in shareholders and the market.
In other words, they're rewarding passive income and they're rewarding folks with real estate holdings specifically, by the way. They put in a lot of late last minute provisions that help people with real estate LLCs, which are uh, packages that do property, obviously, and they don't have any employees. It's not going to create any job growth. All it does is cycle money back around rich people, and it spins. It just spins around amongst rich folks, and they get richer and richer based on each other reinvesting in each other in a weird kind of Ponzi scheme of self-enrichment, and then ultimately, which will, of course, collapse. It will, not, it will fall of its own weight. If you don't have, everything always depends on consumerism. It depends on the rest of the population eating and drinking and having fun and, and buying their iPhones, uh, you know, that, that terrible thing they do, and because <laughs> they should save it for their health insurance. Uh, you know, that's what makes it all go around. And if you eliminate that by making their the average folks' survival almost impossible— uh, and again, the surveying, the polling, the opposition to this, it just went up in a month too. In the beginning, it was a 45% opposed to the tax changes. Now it's at 55%. If you ask, when asked the question, do you think that the Republican tax proposal will do more to benefit the middle class or the wealthy? 60% of Republicans think it's going to help the middle class. They're, they're buying it. They think it's going to trickle down. But independents... You know, only 28% think it'll help. 64% said no. And of course, of Democrats, only 4% think it's going to help the middle class. 95% And that's bad PR, by the way, because in the first couple of years, actually, everybody's going to get a little tax cut. Uh, they're putting it on the bill. It's they're, We're just borrowing money to give to ourselves, which is like, hey, look, it's like if you run up the $1,000 in your credit card and got a cash cash advance, be like, look, I just made $1,000. No, you borrowed 1000 plus interest. You just gave the bank money is what you did. And so, yeah, if you're watching the financial things, everything is booming on that side. They just can't wait to see all. And so if you've got passive income, which they think is the best kind of income <laughs> in the world, and hey, it is in terms of, hey, doesn't everybody want to sit around and collect money on somebody else's efforts? But if you take away the ability for the efforts to exist, because it depends upon all these other businesses having actual participants, doing actual labor, creating actual things, innovating actual ideas so that you can base financial transactions on them and then make money on those financial transactions. But without the actual ideas and creations, you're not going to have any financial transactions to have. They're just going to be trading money back and forth going, you got more, right? I got more, you got more. And because <laughs> we squeezed a few more out of young people and out of millennials' future. And it, it's all going to fail. It's just that, you know, and then they're going to have, they say they promised people like Susan Collins and Bob Corker and these folks, don't worry, we'll fix the parts that you have objections to. Don't worry, we'll fix it. Again, no hearings, no allowance for debates. And, and, and it's, it's, it's extremely, and you say, well, so what? You know, Obamacare was unpopular too. But first of all, there's a big difference. Uh, one, the unpopular, remember it was like 60, the high watermark of Obamacare unpopularity uh, when it was being signed was about 70%. It got pretty high of unpopular. But if you read the polls, we talked about this, um, that it, of that disapproval, of that 70% disapproval, 38 or 40% of it was people who wanted Medicare for all. They didn't disapprove of Obamacare because it wasn't a step in the right direction. They disapproved it because it didn't go far enough. And then the other 30% agreed disagreed just because you know democrats were doing it and they hate socialized medicine or whatever they were talking about but again they are moving this country they're turning young voters into socialists this is the natural backlash they will be forcing people to decide between expanding the rich more this will not be popular and you know this if this frustrates you you got to rest in that knowing that it will it cannot stand 
We're not going to suddenly get more and more aristocratic. There's no way that 80, 90 percent of the population who will not bend from this. Remember, something like, what is it, 83 percent of the tax cut revenue will go to the top 1% in this new tax cut. Yeah, you'll get it like a couple grand or something in the first year, and then it'll all go away. <laughs> but why are they doing it? Because they're scared. They're terrified. They don't know what to do because they're failing constantly. And when you're failing constantly, you will slap yourself in your own face if you think you'll get you attention. You will destroy things. You will do anything necessary to get your win back. All right, when we come back, a little more on that, and then we'll get into the reckoning and the latest stories on that on Possibility Politics. Possibility Politics, the place where you look at this great experiment called America and hopefully leave it better than we found her. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for listening. Uh, You know, if you're asking, why would they do this? Why would they pass this incredibly unpopular thing that they know is going to, because they're in a lose-lose circumstance. Um, They're like, they've become, the Republicans in Congress, uh, the upper revolution ones, and then many of them will not be there in 2019, of course. This is the reckoning for that, too. they uh, they see it as kind of a cult. Uh, it's kind of a cult in the sense that um, they believe that, that that one of the big parts is makers versus takers, right? This is and that really sums up who they are. When when Paul Ryan talks about this tax cut, they say, "Well, what about the deficit, Paul Ryan?" He says, "Well, don't worry, we're going to get rid of entitlements. We're going to do entitlement reform," is what he says, which is code for end Social Security. He's already made very clear what he's going to do. He wants to cut it off for young people and phase it out. And so the people that currently have it would still get their benefits for a while. But as they got older and as new people entered what would have been Social Security, you'd get a reduced benefit until all the benefits were gone. That's their plan. Same thing with Medicare. Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> he said, well, it is that they're doing it. It is that. No, no. Even if they try to pass something like that, the outrage will be so extreme. I mean, you've seen this. Folks going into the Capitol building that are that are in wheelchairs and things. There's no way it's going to stand. But when they they see it as makers versus takers, you have to always like when somebody does something in desperation, they're doing it because they see themselves as a victim. They think they're the ones that are under attack, and that's why they say things like makers versus takers because they believe that anyone who uh, believes in in Medicare medical uh, health care for all that everyone should be it should be a right that's something we can all afford easily and why not have it if we can all afford it easily because we all want it. So if we all want it and we all just contribute to it, whether we're sick or healthy, then it'll always be there no matter what happens, like every other industrialized nation in the world. It's the most, the biggest duh ever to Americans now. And they, uh, that's the beauty of it. You say, well, why? This sucks. Watch them try to destroy it. Yes. The more they try to destroy it, the more socialists they will give birth to. <laughs> the more change they will force. Because if you try to be cruel, people will know the difference. And so they think... They believe they're a victim to poor people. They really do. They would never articulate it that way, but they look at it like, hey, we would be able to all be prosperous if there just wasn't lazy poor people that we had to all take care of. It's like, really? Who's getting taken care of? You live on passive income. You own things, and the money just comes in based on everyone else's, based on poor people and middle classes people's effort. So who's the victim there, right? Unfortunately, we're all victims. And on the other side, I would say to you, they, they all have to deal with their victimhood. They'll have their reckoning. But your reckoning, if you're not one of those super rich people who thinks that uh, poor people are the problem, uh, if you're one of those middle class people that is, feels powerless to this, your reckoning is to, re- is to recognize that you do have power, that your voice is bigger 
than their minority demand to control it all with no responsibility, right? You, it, it is, and so know that your voice is everything. You'll know it in 2018. They know it in Virginia. They know it in Alabama. And speaking of which, uh, well, that's a hard segue over to our reckoning of sexual harassment. But Doug Jones, newly elected uh, senator of Alabama, he said uh, when asked about whether Donald Trump should step down based on of, of his sexual harassment allegations, he said those allegations were made before the election. And so people had an opportunity to judge before that election. Uh, we move, need to move on and not get distracted by those issues. Let's get on with the real issues that are facing the people of this country right now. You've heard that one. And then you even heard, I'm gonna, I think I can explain a little bit where that's coming from and why that's happening. But let me also say Joe Manchin of West Virginia, a Democrat, but on the, the right side, if you will, uh, the conservative, more conservative side of Democrats, as opposed to Al Franken on their side, he made some comments about Al Franken, which are fascinating. Listen to this. I don't know. I really don't. I might, I, you know, here's the thing about it. I've seen a person that, 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 his, that his own caucus has turned on. It just made me sick. It really did. And I've... I'm sorry. What he's talking about is whether or not uh, he thought Al Franken should resign. It made me sick. It really did. And I've said this. They know how I feel. My caucus know I'm very upset with this process or lack of a process. And the only thing I'll ask for is expedite. Put extra, uh, uh, extra investigators. Do whatever you have to to go through this, uh, this investigation through the ethics. And there's nothing worse than being found ethic, uh, ethic violations uh, mm-hmm. from your own peer group. Yes. But to be accused but never having a chance to defend yourself, his best defense was the day he spoke and he says, I'm going to leave. And my goodness, I think people in that audience that already uh, signed to, to, for him to leave had a second thought. Mm. So I think they wish it would have gone through a process too. So if you hadn't heard about that, Joe Manchin and a few others have said that Al Franken should have gone through the ethics process and not just resigned. Let the man ha- let us hear his point of view in these circumstances, which is squishy. And a lot of people got, well, wait a second. Oh, that, that, you know, this is the part of the reckoning, the part of realizing it. But they went on and asked him about his whether Trump should be investigated. Very quickly, do you think that President Trump should be investigated for the accusations of sexual you misconduct know, against him? I'm not going to make that that determination because he went through. An election process right, with but all this in the open. investigation. Well, then, then that's, you know, if people feel that to be done, I think we have other things to be done, too. Uh, other things, and, and I think women ought to have a right to come forward. They feel very strong about this. Right. They should be protected. They can't be retaliated on. So, right. yes, to an then, investigation for the president, or no? You've moved on. I've moved on. I really have moved on. I, I'm just, I'm, I just, you know, we're talking about health care. We're talking about a tax cut, not tax reform. Things that we need to do to really solidify. We're talking about the military and the lack that they have of the funds. We're talking about CHIPS program going down where children's health insurance program doesn't seem to be a priority. I understand. You want to get back to the business of government, but it just does seem to be a bit of a disconnect between why you are calling for an investigation into Senator Franken, but not one into the president when there are more Senator Franken has asked for an investigation. He's asked for an investigation. Is that the standard? Yeah, is that the standard? Well, to me, there was a standard here when a person's asked to go through. And President Trump thinks he went through that scrutiny basically when he went through the election process. I would assume. I'm not going to speak on that. I'm speaking on Al Franken being a colleague of mine sitting there saying, listen, go ahead and scrutinize. Go ahead and investigate. Do everything you have to. I'll live with whatever you just decide on. Okay? And... uh, and that's where we are on this, you know, this topic. And I don't know. People just want to continue <laughs> to regurgitate there, so many things. And there's so many important things that we have to deal with. So, 
can you just hear all the angst and the and the messiness in that? That's not much of an answer. I mean, you say on the one hand, okay, yeah, that's kind of an interesting stance to take. Franken should have due process, and and let's do that. But wait a minute, when, but then you know, only because he asked for it. Uh, Donald Trump doesn't need due process. He he had the election, and we need to move on. So a couple things. First of all, I. There, there's something that in both the Doug Jones and in this, uh, you know, why are they not going after, not going to go after Donald Trump for his sexual harassment, right? And and the two parts. One is that they really do want to get to the bigger issues. And they kind of, I'm, I'm sure they're smart enough to know, because if you live in Washington, you know that Donald Trump's going down. They know that these Russia investigations, these crimes are so pervasive, there's no way he's going to survive it. It's only a question of a matter of time. This is hundreds and hundreds of times uh, worse than the crimes that were done during Watergate. And so they know it's over. And there's part of them that says they don't want the impeachment to start based on sexual harassment. It's squishy. It's messy. It's what was going on with Clinton. Clinton was basically attempted to be impeached. He wasn't impeached in the Senate. It, was, it began proceedings in the House, and it was referred to the Senate, and the Senate didn't impeach him, as you probably recall. And that was because he lied about a sexual affair. The lying was what they got him on, but it was really because they didn't like they didn't like him, and they didn't like the affair. And there's a lot of smart Democrats who are saying, now nah, we don't want to we want to let the impeachment happen when it's actual crimes that everyone could agree upon and not this kind of he said, she said, even though we know very clearly that Donald Trump is a predator and did it to a lot. But do you want to impeach a president because he manhandled women before he was president? Equally, that's a good reason for an impeachment and will be. In future presidents, you will not get through this ever again. The lesson of Trump is being learned. <laughs> we will never have a candidate like that again, that where if massive amount of sexual predation was discovered, we went, yeah, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> and so, and it's a question of timing, right? You remember when the Access Hollywood video came out, things were very different. The Me Too hashtag had not even been a dream or a flicker in someone's eyes. The Weinstein was still considered a reputable producer, you know? Uh, everything has changed. And so the other part is they want, they do genuinely, there's, CHIP program is not funded. Tax cuts, this is a disaster. Healthcare, people are going to die and are dying. And so... Wanting to impeach on the sexual harassment is something these folks are staying away from. They want, they would rather he was held accountable for the cruelty he did to humanity or to the nation on a mass and humanity to the whole globe because he's screwing up foreign policy too. They'd rather have him taken down for that. And I know that's frustrating. And this is how politics are not for the faint of heart because it does get ugly and it does get nasty. And uh, I don't have time to go into the other stuff with Fox News. Tamara Holder's been doing CNN. Uh, if you haven't seen her yet, D A M A R A Holder, look it up. She's uh, trying to make the point because 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 one of the things that just broke is Rupert Murdoch decided to say ah there was nothing. It was nonsense. And Fox News. And then all these charges about sexual allegations are nonsense. It's just flirting. And as soon as you say you didn't do it, you've seen all the different things, right? And, and the people that deny it uh, get get even more attention. And the other thing that happened is because Rupert, Rupert Murdoch denied and there was sexual tension or sexual harassment, that actually, according to the legal experts, opens up him to all a bunch of new lawsuits and charges because all those settlements they signed at Fox requiring these women to be quiet had the condition that they would not speak about Fox News or Roger Ailes or Ill or, the, or whichever one of the many executives harassed them, but that they would also... 
uh, would be their gag order would be released released if Fox News disparaged them or denied their truth and said they didn't do it. And so now that Rupert Murdoch, the owner of Fox News, Fox you know Corporation, said that they're it's nonsense and it was just flirting. Even though Tamara Holder describes the stories of having her executive, her boss, ripped out his willy and sh- literally shove her head into his crotch. So that <laughs> now she gets to say that. Now she gets to talk about that because they're denying it and calling her liar. And so this reckoning is good. And it's getting faster and bigger with every second, right? Now we go to the Russian investigation. Big new uh, moment when former National Intelligence Director you know, James Clapper was asked to talk about it. I, I think this clip will explain itself. Let me take a listen here. You heard the president's speech today. He calls out Russia and China, describes them as rival powers, rival powers to the U.S., but also says he wants to build a great partnership with them and then had all this friendly stuff to say about his phone calls with Vladimir Putin this week. Is that a contradictory message? Well, it is to me. I, I think... Uh... Uh, this past weekend is illustrative of uh, what a great case officer uh, Vladimir Putin is. He knows how to handle uh, an asset, and that's what he's doing with the president. Uh, You're saying that Russia is handling President well, Trump as an asset? That's the, that seems to be the, that's the appearance to me. Uh, so, you know, we've shared intelligence with the Russians uh, for a long time. We've, we've always done that, although my experience with them has been pretty much of a one-way street where we provide them uh, intelligence and we don't get much back. I just want to be clear here, though. You're saying that Russia is treating the president of the United States well, I, as I, an I, asset. I'm saying this figuratively. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, you have to remember uh, Putin's background. He's a KGB officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they do. Uh, they recruit uh, assets. And I think uh, some of that experience and instincts of uh, Putin is coming to play here in uh, his uh, d- managing uh, a pretty f- important account for him, if I could use that term, uh, with uh, with our president. Yeah, an asset, right? Powerful stuff. What he's referring to is that um, you know they Vladimir Putin went on TV and claimed that uh, a, a terrorist attack was foiled because of uh, Donald Trump. His relationship was so good with Donald Trump. They talked about, um, but they're making this up. They're making up the stuff about helping each other. And again, this is the director of national intelligence, James Clapper, and every other national intelligence director made it very clear that Russia does not help us. If we give them intelligence to help with terrorist attacks, they don't reciprocate. Uh, <laughs> they're not helping us out. And that's why one of the reasons why they see Trump as an asset. But he's also an asset because they were able to infiltrate the campaign with great, uh, great effectiveness. And, you know, the Washington Post, all these news and NBC News just broke the story, too, about how these folks all knew the FBI when they got their intelligence briefing. And when in August, when Donald Trump and company got their intelligence briefing, because once you become a candidate for the presidency, you get intelligence briefings, whether you're Republican or Democrat. Once you're the official candidate of the party, you start getting intelligence briefings. They told him they sat down with him and his staff and they said, you do not want to talk to Russians. They are we will they will approach you. They will try to, uh, you know, acquire you into their fold. They will get compromising material on you and do not talk to them. It is illegal. It is dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. They told them that. And here's the two, two parts of that. When the FBI told them that, when the intelligence agencies gave them that briefing, they knew that back in June and before, the Trump administration was already talking to Russia. When they told the Trump group and Donald Trump himself 
that you are going to be approached. They're going to spy on you. They're going to try to give you information. They're going to try to get you ensnared. They're going to give you stuff to, to try to discredit your opponents. They, tend to say, they said the same thing to, to Hillary, mind you. They said they will try to approach you. Now, Hillary already knew this. She's been in presidential politics her whole life. So she's like, oh, yeah, sure, of course, they're going to approach me. I know. And if they do, I'll tell. And, I'll, and, and FBI said to the Trump and company, this is highly illegal. It is, it is not only illegal, it's undemocratic, et cetera, et cetera. They explained to them, knowing that they were already in contact with Russia. They already knew the Trump administration was in contact with Russia. So they were giving them the friendly heads up, like, hey, you might want to stop committing this crime. We know we didn't tell them that we knew that you're committing the crime. They just said you need to stop talking to Ru- you need to not talk to Russia. It's a crime, At, hoping they would figure it out. And as we know now from the public record, they kept having meetings over and over. And now, of course, they're going to go down and go down hard. Um, they have worked with 19 different Russians, which is funny because there were 19 bombers in 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 9/11. I don't know why that parallel comes to my head. The 19 Russians. That were with the government, the KGB, Vladimir Putin, oligarchs, were in contact with the Trump campaign and tradition and transition um, during the time and after that the FBI said, you can't do that. It's illegal. It's not only illegal, it's undemocratic, but they're going to try to compromise you. And they just kept going. And here we are (laughs) on and on. These guys are all going to go down. And it's going to be ugly. And so what are they? And, and that's part of the, you know, they've been attacking. As you say, if you look at the right wing media, they're attacking Peter Strzok and his texts that were disparaging to Trump, omitting the part that he has as many, almost as many disparaging texts about Hillary, about Bernie, about the Democratic leadership, about the, the Republican leadership. This guy and, and his uh, and, and, and the other lady he was going back and forth with, they were set aside and removed for good reason. So I leave you with a little wisdom from Gary Kasparov. Who's that? Remember, that name sounds familiar, doesn't it? He was the one who used to play Bobby Fischer uh, in chess and uh, was unable to, uh, lost to him one time in those great chess matches, but then came back and became the chess master again. He is also an advocate of freedom and democracy and no longer, I think he's here in America. I'm not 99% sure. Anyway, he tweets, Since the start of his campaign, Trump has dedicated himself to attacking, defining American institutions, the electoral system, the free press, the separations of powers, the law enforcement. Here's my warning against being taken over by dictators. Every one of these moves has been under the cover of the autocratic attack on the objective truth, lying constantly while attacking his targets for lying, for fake news, for treasonous behavior. This method has served another end, perhaps the greater goal of splitting the U.S. even more deeply, a division that makes recovery from other attacks much harder. The escalation of rhetoric to dictatorial extremes has a numbing effect. Terms like enemy of the people, coup, and treason, when actual enemies, real treason, are exposed, they've already been used up and discredited. Those terms don't mean anything anymore. It's also, it also requires stronger doses each time to achieve the same impact. The distraction, the clicks, the outrage, the media reaction of amplifying each time more than the last makes it worse. Democratic government is based on institutions. If someone is attacking those institutions instead of strengthening them, it's time to pick a side. Rule of law or by strongman. Rule of institutions or of tribe. This is Gary. This is a Russian. The history of making the wrong choice here is clear. We choose wrong and failed and failed democracy. He's really talking about his own Russia. Gary says, we Russians chose wrong and failed democracy in Russia. We failed by choosing a man, even a decent man, Boris Yeltsin, over strong democratic institutions. We paid for it with Putin. 
and are still paying for it as everyone else is. Even if you like Trump or tolerate him for what you think he can do for you or your cause, you are choosing against those American institutions. If you think they are broken, fix them. Don't help Trump destroy them. Choose. And we are. We are choosing. And this is going to have a beautiful ending. (laughs) But it's going to be an ugly 2018. So buckle up. Uh, I, I cannot exaggerate that enough. And so as we go into these final uh, months, you know, prepare yourself for the game because we're going to have lots of fourth and ones. We're going to have lots of exciting scores. And in the end, uh, we are going to be better for it. America is going to rise and look and we're going to pass laws that make sure that you know (laughs) what's happening when Russia's invade and you know what sexual harassment it is. You're going to figure it all out. That is how it's going to be. And thank you for listening.